Sports Scripts with Decrom is brought to you by Top Choice Athletics, the number one company in customized sports equipment and apparel, specializing in baseball, basketball, soccer, volleyball, tennis, golf, and of course, football. All apparel and equipment can be customized according to your needs. To stay tuned to exciting sports news and deals, follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Top Choice Athletics and follow them on Twitter at RealTCAthletics. Check out their awesome products and order online today from TopChoiceAthletics.com. Welcome back to Sports Punch with Decrom, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, David Promolo. Well, wildcard weekend wasn't as really wild as I personally expected it to be, with the obvious exception of the Eagles-Bears game, but the divisional round weekend has a better chance to live up to such a description. And to my partner, Hal Bent of FullPressCoverage.com, don't you believe that's the case? I certainly hope so, David. It's some very exciting-looking matchups we have here this week that, uh, as unexciting as it was, maybe points-wise, we did have some close games and some fantastic finishes last week, so I'll settle for that here in what is usually the best weekend of NFL football, the divisional round. It most certainly is, and what makes divisional round weekend arguably the most exciting weekend on the entire NFL calendar? For me, you're looking at the four best teams in the NFL NFL at home against the four teams that have worked the hardest to get to where they are and earn their way into the divisional round. And that's what we end up with so many great games. Oh, I completely agree. And before we uh, preview uh, those games, and we'll get to them in just a little bit, Let's uh, give our wildcard weekend takeaways, and I will go first here, and it goes to all those Chicago Bears fans out there. Look, I understand how disappointed and heartbroken you were coming up so close, yet so far from uh, advancing in, in the playoffs, and while it may be true that Cody Parkey did not have a good season and will likely have to face a competition to keep his roster spot uh, next season, the hell that he got from some of Bears fans in the most classless sense at the most lowest point of his life. I hope all those Bears fans are regretting it now because just hours after that um, double doink, uh, it was revealed that Eagles uh, reserve defensive lineman Trayvon Hester partially tipped the ball, significantly altering the ball's trajectory. So Bears fans, you should be giving Trayvon Hester far more credit than giving Cody Parkey all that uh, nonsensical uh, hell, including some, dare I say, uh, threatening messages to him and his family. Oh, goodness, David. You have got that right, hitting that nail right on the head with that analysis. The poor kid, you know, the Bears should have never put him in the situation of needing a field goal. They mismanaged the clock on that final drive, cost themselves field position. They should have been able to get a lot closer to the end zone for an easier kick, number one. And number two, that entire game plan, that the Bears should have been able to have an easy lead in that game. They were completely out of whack on their rushing and passing they threw the ball something like 43 times and only rushed it less than 20 times that's inexcusable with those running backs that they have in Chicago so look for you know the blame to not go on the kicker but on Chicago on that offense that couldn't do enough to get points didn't have balance and for that best pass defense in the NFL, where the heck was that on that final drive? Because Chicago, you let Philadelphia and Nick Foles just march right down that field. Oh, they most certainly did. But what about Trayvon Hester? Doesn't he deserve even more credit for that uh, field goal miss than Cody Parkey does? I think he does. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And, and you know, once you... St- once they started talking about that and you went back and looked at that replay and you could say, you know what, that ball, yeah, footballs don't move like that. There was obviously, you know, somebody got a piece of it and uh, that had more to do with that miss than, you know, a bad kick. Oh, I completely agree. And that's why a lot of people should be ashamed of themselves for how they treated Cody Parkey after that game. And and he feels worse about it than the fans do. They have to understand that and get a sense of compassion class uh, that uh, too many lose uh, while watching sports in general. But uh, any anywho, that's uh, a different uh, discussion on a different format. And Hal, what was your biggest wildcard weekend takeaway? 
Well, I'd have to say my uh, remarkable run of upsets certainly came to an end as I went 0 for 4 on my picks last weekend. I I picked Houston, Seattle, Baltimore, and Chicago. And uh, Chicago, Seattle, I, I picked the right teams. You guys just didn't come to the stadium and do what you should have done. I mean, that's what I'm going to say. Um, Baltimore, by the time they, they got Lamar Jackson on track, uh, it was too little, too late. Um, but a good show by the rookie stepping up in the second half after that atrocious first half where Baltimore could not run the ball or throw the ball at all. So that's going to be at least a positive for the Baltimore fans. Your young quarterback, uh, Mitch Trubisky in Chicago, Chicago. It's going to be a learning experience for them as well. Um, ditto for Houston as well, as we saw, you know, you've got to find some help there on that offensive line because poor Deshaun Watson just cannot sit back there and take a beating like he did against Indy. So a lot of different things going on last weekend. And uh, hopefully I get back on track on my picks this week. Uh, hopefully you do as well, Hal. And in the meantime, the coaching carousel has spun around fast that there are six official hires and just one uh, vacancy, and we're going to get to the reason why in a minute. But let's grade each of the new head coaching hires. The Cleveland Browns, as we suggested them a month or a month and a half or so ago, they gave Freddie Kitchens their head coaching job. What grade would you give that hire? I I give that a C and, you know, a little bit of an incomplete. I want to see who comes in as the defensive coordinator there uh, in Cleveland as well. But, I, you know, you can't deny how great that offense was with Kitchens. I understand the enthusiasm, but at the same time, he's, you know, very limited amount of time as a coordinator has to give you some pause because that is a young team that's right on the brink. And if he's not another Sean McVay, you may have made a colossal mistake and wasted uh, a couple years of Baker Mayfield in his prime. Oh, very good point. And Bruce Arians lured out of retirement by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And if he can't fix Jameis Winston, nobody can. What is your grade for the Bucks hiring of Bruce Arians? I'll give... Bruce Arians a solid B. This is one of those things that could be fantastic. And you could see three or four years of Tampa Bay, um, you know, contending as a playoff team, or it could be a, just one of those bad marriages. And at the end of the year, Arian says, Nope, not worth it. And he goes and Jameis goes and Tampa Bay's back at square one. So it's a boomer bust pick. But if you've got a chance to get a, a coach like Bruce Arians, you've got to take that chance and take him. And hopefully uh, it'll work out for both Tampa Bay and Arians because Bruce Arians is good for the NFL. Oh, he most certainly is. And if you want to know more about Bruce Arians, get his book, Quarterback Whisper. It was one of the best books I've read in recent years. Trust me, folks. Uh, if you want to learn a lot about football, especially about quarterback, read Bruce Arians' book, Quarterback Whisper. It will Open your eyes like never, ever before into this great game that we call football. And the Green Bay Packers, this was actually one of my favorite hires so far. Matt LaFleur, who was the Tennessee Titans offensive coordinator this past year. But it's important to keep in mind uh, that offense outside uh, Derrick Henry and uh, Deion Lewis and Corey Davis, that offense was very, very limited, dare I say, in terms of talent. But if you look who he's worked with the, in the prior years, in 2016, he was the Falcons quarterbacks coach during Matt Ryan's 2016 MVP season and was Sean McVay's offensive coordinator with the Rams during Jared Goff's coming out party in 2017. I think the Packers uh, um, have potentially hit a home run here with Matt LaFleur. Yeah, I th I think he's a great hire for them. Um, you know, again, we have to be very careful with these quarterbacks with limited coordinator experience, how they react to taking that job as the head coach, being responsible for both sides of the ball, for special teams as well, for dealing with the media and everything that goes along with it. It's sometimes a lot for a young player with a young coach without a lot of experience in that role. Um, but yeah, as far as LaFleur himself, you know, I, I take nothing away from that Tennessee role last year. Uh, it was an 
interesting performance at times with that offense. And again, I think the limitation was more the talent around him than the scheme and the coaching and the motivation uh, that he brought to that role with the Titans. So I give that a solid B plus for Matt LaFleur. Yes, and the Denver Broncos uh, made the Chicago Bears week even worse by luring away Vic Fangio to be their new head coach. Yeah, another interesting hire there uh, with Fangio as, as Denver went and swung to the experienced coordinator, 20 plus years of experience uh, with Vic Fangio. But we know he what he can do with the defense and you know, with with Gary Kubiak coming on as offensive coordinator, you know, that certainly takes care of the offensive side and certainly gives John Elway exactly what he wants on the offensive side. Um, so with Fangio, what he should be able to do with that defense in Denver with some of the pieces that he's got to start with and a high draft pick, it's it's a very, very solid, interesting hire. And, I, and I'd give that a solid B for the Broncos. Yeah, I think that's fair, and I think Vic Fangio is uh, one of those guys that could uh, oversee another transition for the Broncos as their roster is expected to get even younger going forward. Definitely, definitely, and you know, with with Bradley Chubb and Von Miller, and you know, after the work he did with the Bears, and just the the whole breadth of his experience and and the the great defensive players that he's worked with and helped elevate. It's very, very exciting to think about what he can do in that environment. Oh, most definitely. And the Arizona Cardinals, if you think the Bucks hiring of Bruce Arians is a boomer bust proposition, this could very well be a boomer bust proposition as they dip into the college ranks and try to follow the uh, revolution of college schemes on NFL offenses by taking former Texas Tech head coach Cliff Kingsbury, whose uh, stint as USC offensive coordinator lasted uh, as long as Britney Spears' first marriage, dare I say. <laughs> so it's a roll of the dice for the Cardinals, especially Kingsbury bringing a more collegiate air raid system that Josh Rosen I don't think has any experience in. Exactly. It, it's an interesting marriage. And, I, and I'd love to know what was going on in those conversations while he's interviewing, because, again, you're you're looking at a team that's going to have the top draft pick. Is he going to bring his quarterback, Kyler Murray, in? Uh, and then what happens with Josh Rosen, a top 10 draft pick there? Uh, basically, you know, is, is he going on the trading block? Is he going to be thrown into that air raid attack? It's going to be very, very interesting to see what they do, uh, how Kingsbury wants to shape that team and who he wants under center. So um, you called it with that boomer bust, you know, <laughs> um, you know, this is one of those very, very interesting hires, um, you know, coming from the college system to the pros. Um, it's a, it's a solid boomer bust. I mean, I'll give them an A minus for thinking outside of the box and, you know, doing, you know, what it takes to, to revitalize the offense there in Arizona, which was beyond stagnant this season and, uh, certainly sets up for an interesting off season. Hey, yes. And for what it's worth, I believe, uh, Benjamin Albright, um, NFL insider reported, uh, today that uh, there is no truth to those uh, rumors of the Cardinals taking Kyler Murray at one and trading Josh Rose at 10, albeit uh, we still have a ways to go until the draft and situations are fluid in the NFL, but just something to keep in mind at this moment in time. And it was also reported today via Adam Schefter and Chris Mortensen that the Cincinnati Bengals' number one choice for their head coaching vacancies is Rams quarterbacks coach Zach Taylor and that they plan to hire Taylor away from the Rams as soon as the Rams season ends. And assuming they get it done, how would you grade that? Again, that that's a, a really interesting hire. We had talked about Cincinnati and said, oh my God, please don't let it be Hugh Jackson. So the fact that it wasn't Hugh Jackson, it wasn't Vance Joseph, um, if that comes to pass, I think Cincinnati gets an A just for not hiring Hugh. I, I, I have to give them all the credit in the world for that. Um, and what we had talked about is hopefully that they're going to look and say, we need somebody who's young and, you know, bright and, you know, on that offensive side of the football, while well, we still have a few years of A.J. Green left. And for Cincinnati, I think that's the right move. I'm not. You know, Zach Taylor, I'm not sure without that 
coordinator experience to step into the head coach role, how that's going to roll. But it's it's a roll of the dice. It's a it's moving in the right direction for a Cincinnati franchise that seemed stuck in the 20th century NFL to be finally moving to the 21st century. I have to give them all the credit in the world and give them a straight A on this. Yeah, especially should it go down. It's not official yet, but the expectation is it will go down once the Rams season ends. And the New York Jets, just when it seemed that they were going to hire Matt Rule, um, due to some disagreement, they settled for Adam Gase. And uh, this, at least right now, obviously Sam Donald's going to have more say about this than anything with his performance on the field, but this uh, just doesn't seem like the most attractive hire to me given other options available. No, it really doesn't. And, you know, this is getting into some of that weird AFC East stuff that's go that's gone on in the past few years. You see Rex Ryan going from the Jets to Buffalo. You, you know, you're seeing Todd Bowles, Miami to the Jets. You're seeing Mike Tannenbaum with almost every team in the AFC East now. And it's kind of this weird little situation where they're passing these coaches and executives back and forth between these teams and i i i understand the attraction with sam darnold of saying you know we need to get a quarterback whisperer in here but for adam gase you know um peyton manning was pretty good before he got to adam gase i don't know how much credit i can really give him in the peyton manning situation um jay cutler statistics wise still improved but that was a six win team in chicago that was a seven win team in miami last year with jay cutler and ryan Tannehill's still the same player he was four years ago so if I'm uh, well, if I'm a Jets fan, the Jets writers and fans that I've interacted with in the past couple of days, not very excited about this. I think they're in the solid D range on Adam Gase. Um, I will give him a little bit of a benefit of a doubt here, but um, for the Jets, it's it's a stale hiring. I'm going to give it a C minus. Yeah, it definitely looks that way right now. I agree, and now. Let's preview these four games of the divisional round of this year's NFL playoffs. And we start Saturday afternoon at Arrowhead Stadium where Barbecue and Arthur Bryant are going to be cooking up a storm before the big game between the Colts and the Chiefs. And when I look at this game, and if I'm the Chiefs defense, I have to be expecting the Colts to pound the ball religiously in this game with Marlon Mack and Naeem Hines and Jordan Wilkins, especially Marlon Mack, who's been on an absolute tear as of late. And given the strength that is the Colts' brick wall, the uh, the brick wall of Indy, dare I say, uh, and given how much the Chiefs have struggled stopping the run this year, do you think the Chiefs can win without stopping the run? I really don't. No, it, it's going to be really hard to do that. And, you know, the, there's a couple of different reasons for Indy to do that. One, Marlon Mack has been so good. Two, the Kansas City run defense has been so terrible. But just the idea of wearing down that Kansas City defensive line, keeping Chris Jones and D Ford from, you know, teeing off on Andrew Luck. Not that anybody's been getting to him, but there's always a chance with those two guys because they're very, very talented. But most importantly, you got to keep the ball out of Mahomes' hands. That's You've got to limit the number of possessions that that Kansas City offense has keep them from scoring the ball by not having the ball and to keep it close, keep it low scoring. That's what Indianapolis is going to have to do. Come out strong and don't let the chiefs jump out to a big lead and put the Colts back on their heels in one dimensional. Yeah, I completely agree. And when you look at both of these teams' defenses, and a lot of people see this game as a potential shootout for good reason. You have to look at the key components of both defenses and what they're going up against. And arguably, they're going up against the strength of uh, the, each team's offense. Uh, so who do you think is more likely to have a good game? The Chiefs' defensive line and edge rushers versus that amazing Colts offensive line? Or the Colts' defensive back seven, led by uh, potential defensive rookie of the year, Darius Leonard, versus uh, these... Uh, Chiefs uh, skill position weapons. 
It's very interesting because, you know, I think how the teams come out early and how Indianapolis deals with that crowd noise in Kansas City is going to have a big effect on that because we've seen Kansas City so many times this season, you know, be able to get that quick strike score to get that to get ahead, you know, 10 to nothing, 14 to nothing and just take the other team completely out of their game plan. That old Mike Tyson uh, saying, you know, everybody comes in with a plan, but what happens to their plan when they get punched in the mouth? And so for the Colts, it's going to be that back seven is going to survive if they can take that initial punch from Kansas City. And for Kansas City, that pass rush is not getting anywhere near the quarterback unless that Indianapolis offense is completely one-dimensional and the Chiefs are playing with that lead. So the likelihood of it, you know, it's probably going to be pretty hard to stop that Kansas City defense. Offense and that quick strike attack, especially early in the game, especially Andy Reid with a whole extra week to plan is probably one of the most dangerous coaches with extra time to plan in the NFL. I wouldn't want him to give him that time. So I think the Kansas City uh, defensive line is going to be end, end up being a little more effective just because of those circumstances of the game. Yes. And what other game deciding matchups can you think of? Well, you know, we did touch on Marlon Mack and, you know, I just don't know, you know, if there's going to be a way if other than Kansas City getting an early lead, how they're going to stop that Indianapolis running game. The best way for them to stop it, obviously, is to get to an early lead and force Indianapolis to score points. But, you know, the way that those Indianapolis offensive linemen, you know, Quentin Nelson get to that second level is just you know, mind boggling how they're able to do that. And for Kansas City, you know, trying to see those Chiefs linebackers, if they can hold up at all in the running game, is going to be very, very interesting to see because, again, that Indianapolis offensive line is nearly unstoppable and that Kansas City once you get past that front four you know you're looking at you know are the Reggie Raglins and Anthony Hitchens going to be able to hold up in the running game when they've got Quentin Nelson bearing down on them pulling in front of Marlon Mack oh absolutely and who do you think wins Saturday afternoon at Arrowhead Boy, I'll tell you, I'm rooting for Indianapolis. I love watching Andrew Luck, um, you know, and what he's done this season. I love that Indianapolis defense, but I don't see that cover two defense being able to slow down Pat Mahomes in any way. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of points on the board in this game, but I have Kansas City uh, edging out Indianapolis 38 to 34 in an exciting game with a furious finish in the fourth quarter water yes this game indeed is a very tough one to pick i think patrick mahomes is going to have a good game i think andrew luck is going to have a good game but it all depends on these defenses and who is more capable of making a big play and the chiefs at home i understand your logic there because of the crowd noise and all that stuff but i just don't see them containing the run very well against this amazing Indianapolis Colts offensive line, virtually transformed overnight by Frank Reich and Chris Ballard, especially with the addition of Quentin Nelson being the final piece. It's been just amazing to watch. And as long as the Colts control time possession by like about nine or 10 minutes, that's probably all they need to win what will be a very close high scoring game because I think that both teams' best bet is to play keep away and uh, I think the Colts are better equipped to play keep away with their ground game than the Chiefs are with theirs. It's going to be close, but thanks to the Colts' advantages in the run game, Colts 34, Chiefs 31. And now moving on to the Saturday night matchup between the Cowboys and Rams. And if I'm the Rams, is this the worst possible divisional round matchup I could have asked for? Yeah, I I think it really is, you know, uh, a team that's going to come in with Zeke Elliott and that can pound the ball and, you know, Dak Prescott playing some of his best football and that fast attacking Cowboys linebackers and, and, and defense. I think this is a horrible matchup for the Rams. I think you're right on there, David. 
Oh, absolutely. And the Rams, especially on the offensive side of the ball, I think they have to be open-minded about who they utilize. Uh, Even though you have Todd Gurley back and healthy, C.J. Anderson absolutely balled out in those two games without him. And C.J. Anderson is no slouch, my friends. He is the furthest thing from a slouch, as a matter of fact, isn't he? He's, I love CJ Anderson. He was one of my favorite backs. I, you know, just the story, you know, not highly touted coming out of college, that one cut, that aggressive style. He's just so much fun to watch. And the caveat, well, it was Arizona and San Francisco's defense as well, which had kind of packed things up for the year. Um, It'll be an interesting story against the Cowboys, but however they get that production in the running game, they desperately need that for the Rams on Saturday night. Oh, they most certainly do. And should the Rams consider giving C.J. Anderson a healthy amount of touches, even with Gurley back? Like, uh, let's say they do this. I think they should do this. Uh, two back sets with both of them on the field on third down to help compensate for Cooper Cup's absets, especially since both Todd Gurley and C.J. Anderson are excellent receivers. I, I think that's a great game plan there because, you know, one of the, the problems the Rams have had is has since Cup's gone down in that second half of the season, you've seen, you know, they really haven't been able to replace that. You know, Josh Reynolds just is not the same wide receiver. He's just not ready for prime time in that third wide receiver role. And I like Gerald Everett, very good tight end. But again, between him and, and Tyler Higby, you're just not getting that consistent move the chains value that you got from Cooper Cup in the first half of the season. Absolutely. And the Rams on defense are facing an eerily similar challenge that the Chiefs are uh, because the Colts are probably going to play keep away from the Chiefs by trying to pound the rock. Gotta expect the Cowboys to do the same with uh, Zeke Elliott against a Rams uh, run defense that isn't known for being very good. Oh, definitely. I mean, you've got to make Zeke Elliott, you know, you're you're looking at touches. I want the ball in his hands 35 times minimum, whether it's running the football, receiving, you know, make him a main target in the passing game. You know, whatever it takes, that offense has to go through Zeke Elliott, just like it did last week against Seattle. Indeed. And I don't think the Rams can win without stopping Ezekiel Elliott. I really don't. Can you? No, I I don't think so either. You know, I I picked against Zeke Elliott. I thought Seattle would be able to contain him, and he was a man on a mission last week. And, you know, I think Dallas coming into Los Angeles, I don't think they fear the Rams. There's probably going to be more Cowboy fans in attendance there than there's going to be Rams fans in the Coliseum anyways. So it's going to be almost a home game for them anyways. And, you know, if they can continue to be strong on third down and extend those drives and and keep that Rams offense standing on the sidelines, it could be a long game for the Rams and a good outcome for Jerry Jones and the Cowboys. Oh, absolutely. And especially given the fact the Cowboys uh, have training camp in nearby Oxnard, California, um, gives them... uh, a healthy fan base down in the LA area. So uh, you could probably expect Cowboys fans to match or outnumber Rams fans tomorrow night. And what other game deciding matchups can you think of in what I expect will be another close game? Well, I, I think for the Rams, you know, they're going to have to run the football. Doesn't matter. Like you had talked about whether it's Gurley, whether it's Anderson, doesn't matter how they do it. They have to be productive on the ground because that passing offense against the Cowboys is just not going to be able to move the ball at will. And, you know, they're going to have that offense just hasn't been the same without Cooper Cup, especially against strong defenses like the Cowboys. So I'm looking at in that running game, looking at that Rams offensive line against that Cowboys defensive front and who's going to be moving who is Dallas's defensive line going to be able to get that penetration, push the Rams back or are they going to be able to make that space for Gurley and get those chunks of yardage, five, six yards, to set them up for easier conversions um, for, and take that pressure off of Jared Goff on third down? 
Yes, and another big matchup I see that will be pivotal for the Rams is obviously Defensive Player of the Year, Aaron Donald. And yes, this isn't the same Cowboys offensive line as it's been in the past, but as uh, the uh, Bears showed with uh, James Daniels and Cody Whitehair, he can be minimized. So Aaron Donald going up against that Cowboys interior offensive line, he's probably going to have to ball out, not just in the passing game, but in the running game as well for the Rams to come away with the victory here. And who do you see coming away in L.A. on Saturday night at the Coliseum? I'm going with Dallas. I think they're going to be able to do just enough to outlast the Rams here and control the football, get that lead and hold on in the fourth quarter and make it a Dallas 27 to 25 win over the Rams. I am almost simpatico with you there, Hal. I have the Cowboys winning 27 to 24. I think the speed of Light Vanderish and Jalen Smith will be enough to neutralize either Todd Gurley or C.J. Anderson. And with with those people neutralizing that Rams offense, as the Bears showed, that Rams offense is absolutely worthless. So, uh, yes, uh, I expect Sean McVay to come up with clever wrinkles that will be enough to give the Rams uh, a chance in this game. But Cowboys come away with a 27-24 victory. And... Yet again, playoff football is back in Foxborough, Massachusetts as the New England Patriots host the Los Angeles Chargers. And Hal, as a Patriots fan, how concerning is the potential disadvantage for that Patriots offensive line going against that Chargers front with Bosa and Ingram? It's it's very concerning for the Patriots, but again, this is... You know, Tom Brady, who is one of the best at getting the football out of his hands quickly and neutralizing that. And more than anything, this is a Patriots team that has become a running team. They have to run that football to be effective. And there's just that's where that offense is coming from. And when Brady has that offense humming, it's because they're running the football getting positive yards on first and second down there and setting up that play action. And so for the Patriots, the best way to neutralize that is going to be that three-headed running back of Sony Michelle, Rex Burkhead, and James White. Um, and I think that's how they're going to slow the pass rush as much as offensive tackles Trent Brown and Marcus Cannon holding up against Bosa and Ingram. Oh, excellent point, and this was expected by several notable people, uh, most notably Bucky Brooks, that when Tom Brady got to be this age, uh, the Patriots had to become more of a running team because, uh, yes, I think he has a couple of years left in him, but uh, as you can see, he is no longer that guy who could uh, single-handedly carry a team every game. Exactly. And, you know, that was part of the reason that they took Sony Michelle in the first round. There was a lot of people in New England here that questioned that move and, you know, couldn't understand why the Patriots would take a running back in the first round. But no, that's the way this offense is. This Patriots offense, it's not the 2007. It's not that 2012 team that scored 500 points. It's not the 2014 or 2016 offense. This is old school Bill Belichick, 2003 New England Patriots, where there's nothing more satisfying than a 24 to 16 win right now and 200 yards rushing on the ground. Yes, but the Patriots offense is going to have to battle against another potential defensive rookie of the year in Derwin James. And the biggest mystery for the Patriots this postseason is Rob Gronkowski. Will the old Rob Gronkowski come back for at least two or three more games to power the Patriots to a Super Bowl? Or is the decline very, very, very real and unstoppable? But even uh, on a good day for Gronk, is there anybody in the league not named Derwin James capable of slowing down Gronk? Well, that's going to be the question. I mean, we, you know, there's no mysteries with that San Diego defense. You know, no, you said got San Gus- Diego. You said San Diego. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> common mistake. Common mistake. <laughs> uh, I can't help it. You know, and I'm and I'm watching it too. I'm trying to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. LAC. Write it down forty times a day. LAC. It doesn't help me any. <laughs> but for the Chargers, you know, um, 
Gus Bradley, you know what you're getting with that defense. You're going to see a ton of cover three. They're going to mix it up with some cover one, a little bit of man-to-man, you know, on those rare blitzes. They don't blitz a lot unless it's usually third down and longer, um, and they'll play some man behind that. So it's a defense the Patriots have seen going up against Jacksonville, going up against Seattle, you know, going up, they saw San Diego last year early in the season as well. So it's not a mystery on how to beat it, but you need that Rob Gronkowski able to get into that seam in the middle of that cover three defense for those 15 yard, 20 yard passes. And once he was able to do that against Seattle in the Super Bowl, that turned that game in the second half. And, you know, the trouble that they had against Jacksonville in the AFC championship game. Remember Rob Gronkowski was knocked out of that game early as well. And the offense sputtered for a while as well. So if he's got it in him, he's going to have to pull it out today. He's shown it in flashes. You know, he still averaged over 14 yards per reception this season, despite it being such a down year for him. Um, I think they're going to look to him early in the game try to get him up the seam for a couple of big plays there, 15, 20-yard chunk plays. And if he can get that separation from James, uh, who's probably going to be on him in that passing game, uh, keeping a close eye on him, that could go a long way towards the success of that Patriots offense on Sunday afternoon. It absolutely could. And just a th- two or three of those plays uh, could be enough to make a difference in this game. Definitely, because once he's able to, once they're able to make the defense respect that deep middle of the field, that opens up everything underneath for those running backs like Rex Burkhead and James White. And, you know, last time that they played Sandy, uh, last time they played Los Angeles, the Chargers, it was a big James White game in the passing game for the Patriots. And those underneath passes, they just, you know, paper cut after paper cut after paper cut until that Chargers defense bled to death. Indeed. And looking at the Chargers offense against the Patriots defense, what advantages do you think the Chargers offense has against this Patriots defense and vice versa? Well, the Chargers have those big wide receivers um you know you're gonna see keenan allen they love to deploy him in the slot because of his quickness and you know ability to run any route that they can throw at him he can do everything there but tyrell williams mike williams six four six five big strong long arms leaping ability back shoulder catches work that sideline those two don't get enough credit for the success of this offense and for any team, it's going to be difficult to defend just that size and speed alone, especially with Mike Williams, who's, who should be that complete package wide receiver and is maybe just a year or two away from that. Um, so for the Patriots, it's going to be who's on the outside and then how are they going to bracket um, Keenan Allen how they're going to deploy that secondary against them. And then you've got the ultimate wild card in the tight end position because Hunter Henry could be back for this game as he's been activated and nobody knows what kind of effect he's going to have on this game. But tight ends have hurt the Patriots a lot this year. And that might be something the Chargers are thinking about as a secret weapon. Yes, and the biggest potential advantage I think the Chargers' uh, offense has against the Patriots' defense, getting Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler out in those linebackers. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the, the Patriots' linebackers are not built for coverage. It's uh, been an Achilles heel all year for them. You're going to see them, if they do have to have any kind of coverage with the linebackers, keep them away from Adonta Hightower, who was exposed early in the season in that role and has been much better as a zone coverage linebacker only. Um, Kyle Van Noy just doesn't have the quickness. Uh, Landon Roberts has the straight line speed, but doesn't have those fluid hips for the change of direction. And especially somebody like Austin Eckler could give them a huge headache. Oh, absolutely. And what do you think is the game-deciding matchup? I think, you know, 
for the Patriots, it's it's just going to be keeping that pass rush off of Brady and, you know, making sure that he doesn't have to drop back and throw the ball 40 times. So it's going to be that interior offensive line of the Patriots if they're able to be able to make space. You know, the Chargers should have Brandon Mabane back. Um, you know, the rest of that offense, that interior offensive line isn't really a uh, defensive line, isn't scary. Damian Square, Darius Fillion, you know, rookie Justin Jones hasn't gotten much playing time. So if the Patriots can get that running game on track, and that's really going to come down to those, the, the guards being able to pull uh, that old fashioned pull the guard wham make some space for them that's going to slow down that chargers defensive front and allow the patriots to take control of that game and and i think that's the biggest matchup for new england there that they're going to have to win yep and that makes sense given how quickly tom brady is capable of getting rid of the football and uh how do you see this game going I think it's going to be a close one. It's going to be one of those games that comes down to, you know, um, is there going to be a key turnover? Uh, the Chargers have had some problems holding on to the football. They've been turning the ball over a lot recently, and that really affects the Chargers, um, you know, in their success. Um, when they win the turnover battle, the Chargers are 8-0. When it's even or they're losing that battle, it's five and four this season. So for the Chargers, I, I'm looking at, you know, if, if there's one key mistake, is it going to be Phil Rivers? Is it going to be Brady? I'll put my money on Brady on this one. I see the Patriots in a close game pulling it out 27 to 24. I think this game is going to be very, very close too. Phillip Rivers is 0-7 all time in his career against Tom Brady. He's going to become, uh, he's going to come closer than ever before to beating him, but not quite close enough. Patriots win 24 to 20. And last but not least, the Philadelphia Eagles looking to write another Cinderella story, traveling to the Superdome, the place nobody wants to play this time of year, to take on the New Orleans Saints. And if you look at the Eagles, their incredible run at this point began the moment Timmy Jernigan returned to the lineup. Just how important is Timmy Jernigan to that Eagles defense? Do you think it's a coincidence? I think it might not be a coincidence. Oh, it's it's not a coincidence at all. Um, you know, that, that interior defensive line, um, you know, you've got Fletcher Cox, but Aloni Nada, he just doesn't have that push anymore. He's just a big body in there. And, um, you know, Trayvon Hester, great block last week, but, you know, he's not a regular contributor in there for a reason. And they really missed, you know, Jernigan's ability to collapse that pocket and force that quarterback to not be able to step up and that lets him step right into the arms of a Brandon Graham or a Michael Bennett or a Chris Long coming along on the outside. And that's really what that Eagles defense had been missing this year. Yes, and uh, neither one of those guys were able to free up Fletcher Cox, and Jernigan is able to do so. Exactly. Uh, Jernigan has just so low center of gravity, strong. He comes with those those fundamentals that he got in Baltimore with that, that great defensive coaching that they've had over there and was able, you know, it just takes that extra attention away from Fletcher Cox and gives him that room to be able to, you know, be able to do what he does best and get in and be disruptive as well because they just can't focus all their attention inside on him. You said it. And uh, wouldn't you say the Eagles, and keep in mind, this is the biggest spread of the week. They are eight-point underdogs. Would you say the Eagles should be given a better chance to win this game given the Saints inconsistencies in the secondary? Yeah, I mean, the way Nick Foles is playing, it's very, very hard to pick against him because, you know, I I love Carson Wentz. I think he's a great quarterback. He's going to remain a great quarterback, and the Eagles are crazy to give up on him, and I don't think anybody's suggesting that other than the 
you know, maybe a small segment of the Nick Foles fan base. But, you know, for what he does is he will get that ball into the hands of the playmakers. And that's where he has that confidence and especially that chemistry with Alshon Jeffrey. You've seen the effect that Jeffrey has had with Nick Foles in at quarterback where he plays such a, a bigger percentage of the game and those chunk plays allows that offense to move the ball and open up the running game underneath as well, which has been a problem for the Eagles this year. Yes, and if you look at this uh, Eagles uh, defensive line now at full strength with the addition of Timmy Jernigan, um, if there is a weakness on that Saints offensive line for them to exploit, who is it? Because keep in mind, this Saints offensive line is arguably one of the top three units in the league along with the Colts who we mentioned earlier. Yeah, there, there's not a lot of weaknesses there. I mean, you look at it and you're saying, you know, Max Unger, one of the better centers in the league. Uh, Ryan Ramsick, you know, first round pick in 2017 has grown into a solid, solid right tackle. We know what Taron Armstead, he's been in that role for five years. And, you know, even Andrus Pete, who's, you know, playing at left guard. Again, another first-round draft pick there. Athletic, strong blocking. And so, you know, if I'm looking for a weak spot, am I looking at, you know, as hard as it is to say, is Larry Warford, the old reliable veteran, the weakest spot on that offensive line, uh, usually playing at the right guard position? I think that's where we would have to look at, you know, where the, the Saints' biggest weakness is. That is a very, very good point, and Tim Jernigan might have to win that battle against uh, Warford because they're probably going to want Unger and Andrews Pete going against uh, Fletcher Cox on double teams there. And what are some other game-deciding matchups away from the trenches? One I'm looking at is Jordan Hicks and Nigel Bradham against Alvin Kamara coming out of the backfield because if they can neutralize him, that'll, that'll be a very big deal. Yeah, and and not only in the in the passing game, but in the running game as well. Those linebackers have got to be able to shed blocks and be able to get to the, those New Orleans running backs and keep them from taking over the game that they have done so many times, both in the passing game and not to discount, but you, you know that's that Saints rushing attack as well. They are not. They don't hesitate to be able to, you know, if you're going to give them the running game and, and go with six, seven defensive backs, they'll just pound away at you with Kamara and Ingram. And Kamara's really an underrated rusher inside the tackles. Um, you know, you think about him as speed to the edge, but he's able to explode between that smallest crease in the, in the uh, offensive line. And boom, you know, be bursting into that secondary. You see it so many times this year with that larger role where Ingram was suspended earlier in the season. And and for, for Philadelphia, you know, if there's a weak spot, we've talked about it all year. It's been those linebackers. Um, you know, maybe they try to get the safeties involved in coverage of the running backs as well. But they're gonna somebody's gonna have to step up there on that defense and be able to make plays against those running backs because for the Saints, they're such a huge part of that offense. They're arguably the linchpin to that offense, dare I say, uh, given where Drew Brees is at in his career. A very similar situation for him as it is for Tom Brady, given their offenses are more run-reliant than they've been uh, in the past. And who do you think comes out on top in the final game on Divisional Round Weekend in the Big Easy? I think for New Orleans, I think it's the biggest spread for a reason. I'm hoping Philadelphia puts up a better fight than I expect. And, um, but I've got it going to new Orleans pretty easy. 31 to 17. I think it's going to be closer than that. The Eagles are super bowl champs for a reason. They aren't going to, uh, go down without a fight. I think the saints win, but it'll be a closer game. 31 to 24. And now it's time for our wild I mean, our divisional round weekend bowl predictions, excuse me. God, I have a damn uh, script revision. <laughs> I forgot to do that. Uh, so uh, why don't you go first here, Hal? What is your bowl prediction for divisional round weekend? So my bold prediction is Andrew Luck for the Colts. He throws for over 400 yards passing. He throws for four touchdowns. He completes 75% of his passes 
and the Colts still can't do enough to get the win despite a heroic performance from Andrew Luck. I see. Uh, that's my bold prediction. He's going to match stats going with Patrick Mahomes toe-to-toe, but in the end, Kansas City just too much. My bold prediction is very similar, except it has to do with Nick Foles, who throws for 350 yards and three touchdowns and above 65% completion percentage and still loses. So a near simpatico there for our bold predictions for divisional round weekend. And last but not least, it's time for our challenge flags. And I will go first here. Los Angeles Chargers. This may be your last best chance to win a Super Bowl with Phillip Rivers, one of the most underrated quarterbacks in NFL history. If there was an unsung candidate for MVP this year, it would have been Phillip Rivers. Rivers is a surefire Hall of Famer. He has the moxie that Peyton Manning had. Most people don't know that. He and Peyton Manning are are essentially the same player in terms of football moxie and ability to get the right play in pre-snap. Phillip Rivers is going to the Hall of Fame. But this may be your last chance to get to a Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl with Phillip Rivers, so play like it. Amen, David. I'm a huge Philip Rivers fan. I'll always remember, you know, when he came uh, into Foxborough with the um, the torn ACL and gutted out that game and got the Chargers right down to the game in the fourth quarter, and they just just couldn't get over that hump. It was an inspiring performance by Rivers, and I, I agree with you completely. He is one of the most unsung uh, quarterbacks of this generation. He doesn't get lumped in with the Bradys and the Mannings and the Eli Mannings and the, the Ben Roethlisbergers like he should. Um, and it's not all his fault that some of those years in uh, Charger Town were very, very lean. Um, my challenge flag, I picked against them. So Philadelphia Eagles, Nick Foles, Doug Peterson, pull out all the stops this week against New Orleans. Prove me wrong. Fight to the finish. Play like a champion. Go down swinging if you're going to go down. Make this a great game against the Saints. Empty the cupboard. I want to see you playing like champions on Sunday afternoon. He is my partner in crime, Hal Bent, ladies and gentlemen. You can follow him on Twitter at HalBent01. You could catch his work at FullPressCoverage.com. And if you're a Patriots fan, you could catch his work at MusketFire.com or BostonSportPage.com. Hal, it's always good talking with you. And let's have a great divisional round weekend, and we'll see you here next week. Sounds great, David. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, as always, as having me here and the, the right hand of Decrom. Very happy to be here. Very happy to have you as always, Hal, and that's it for today here on Sports Crunch, but we'll be back next week to preview the conference championships, so stay tuned. I am also pleased to announce that Sports Crunch will be back on the ground in Mobile, Alabama for the second straight year, this time covering the 2019 Reese's Senior Bowl. And also, should things currently transpiring behind the scenes continue their course into these next few weeks and months, Sports Crunch will undergo a rather fascinating makeover, so stay tuned for a huge announcement if that happens. But in the meantime, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that's crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like my right-hand man, Hal Bent. For Hal Bent, our producer Chris Broadhead, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as always, stay awesome.